Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us. We're in a series called The End of the World as We Know It. And uh, today we'll be looking at an instance in the Bible, uh, part of the story of Noah, which is what this whole series is about. And we're looking at Noah and his family going into the ark and uh, that, how that whole extraordinary and literally extraordinary event takes place. And I want to give you some confidence uh, in, in the Word of God and in the Bible as the Word of God this morning that it actually has something true to say to us here today. And that might be quite surprising to you if you know the Noah story and uh, you might know it from uh, childhood. You might know it as uh, something that's kind of quaint. Uh, but I, wanna, I want us to see here today that actually it's got something very profound to say to each one of us in the situations that we find ourselves living in today. And uh, speaking of those situations, they're pretty extraordinary themselves, aren't they? I don't know what life looks like for you now, but uh, for me it looks completely different from uh, the life that I was living even a month ago, two months ago. There might be some real positives, and uh, there might be some things that you've started rediscovering, and uh, there might be some things that are really hard as well. There might be some real pressures which you weren't expecting that have happened to you now. Even if you're still at work, if you're going out every day, the world looks completely different. The place is quiet. If I go even walking around uh, the city now, people's attitudes different. People feel different. The atmosphere is different. And what we need you to know is that we're still a church. We're still a church. This isn't just a video. This isn't just uh, another piece of content that you're listening to. Whether you're listening to it live or after the fact, we're a church and we're still here. You're still here. And we're still, we're still there for you. We're still there for each other. It's not an us and you situation. It's you amongst us. And I need you to know that at the outset. Maybe there are things that you're holding that you haven't been able to share with anyone. You can share them with brothers and sisters in the church. You can share them with friends in the church if you're just a casual attender here at Emmanuel. We, are, we want you to know you're so welcome. And... Uh, It'd be great to hear from you. Even now, if you're watching it live down in the comments, just, just say how things are going. It doesn't have to be prettied up. You can say if things are hard. But equally, if things are going well, if there's something great that you've just discovered, that you're learning, that you're finding out about yourself or those that you live with, you know, put it down there. If it's funny, so much the better. If it's hard, you don't have to share the whole thing. You can just say, you know, just say, I'd love to be in touch with someone. I'd love to talk to someone. We're still here. We're still here. Email, socials whatever. Let's be in touch. Let's, let's make this a, a real thing. Now, above all of the other things that I've mentioned about us being together in a time of distancing, I want you to know that the Lord is with us. I want you to know that Jesus Christ has never left his church and that he speaks to us here today. And he's going to speak through his word that we're going to hear read right now. Genesis chapter 7 verses 1 to 16. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heaven also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days, and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. 
Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went with him into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, and on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Powerful words, and especially those last ones, the Lord shut him in. We're going to spend some time thinking about that today. The Lord shut him in. But before we do, I just think that there's so much in that set of verses, that text that we've considered today, that might wrong foot you, even if you've been a believer for a long time. If if you've known Jesus Christ come and intervene in your life and to change you, you could still find it really difficult reading things like animals, uh, all the animals of the earth gathering towards a big boat and a man who's 600 years old. And And the text is funny, isn't it? Because it's emphatic. It says twice, Noah is 600. His 600th birthday present is a huge boat that he has to build and some animals that he has to take on board with him. That's weird, and it has to be acknowledged. It has to be answered. I hope it's raising some questions for you. If it is, good. And I think I just want to share, and you know, trust me, if I could do longer on this, I would, because it's a history lesson. But it's going to be an incy bincy, uh, tiny history lesson. If you know, if it were up to me, we'd be here for the long haul. But this is uh, just some edited highlights from a book by a man named John Currid, worth looking at. It's called Against the Gods, and what he does is contextualizes this story of Noah in the context of the ancient Near East. So all of the surrounding countries, uh, the surrounding empires that preceded. And he looks at a few very important texts that you might not be aware of that talk about the flood. I, I, I don't know if you knew that. It's mentioned outside of the biblical literature. It's mentioned a lot. Actually, if you go to a lot of cultures outside of the ancient Near East, they tend to have a flood myth of some sort or other going on. Um, so I'm just going to mention to you a few documents that that will shed some light on why the writer of Genesis is saying the things that he is and who he might be writing against, what he might be writing to correct as well. So there's a document known as the Sumerian Kings List, and as the name implies, it is a list of Sumerian kings, kings of Sumer, uh, and it dates in terms of writing uh, from around the 20th century BC, so it's very ancient, And it concerns the past. So it's written at that time concerning the past. And it lists out a number of kings and their reigns. 
And it has a group of kings and their reigns uh, that total up to 240,000 years. And there's not many of them. There's about 23 or 24. There's, there's 23, 24 of them. Their reigns last for a, a total of 240,000 years. That would make them each quite old, to say the least. And then it says there was a flood. And then it lists another eight kings, I think. And their reign is roughly 10% of the time of uh, the previous kings. Now, you might say, okay, great, another fanciful text, another strange thing. But what you see there are a few really important things. This, remember, this text isn't Christian. It's not, it's not even Jewish. It's, it's outside of that whole frame of thinking. And you've got a text that talks about an old world that was very different. You know, it has similarities. It has kings. It has humans. It has things going on. It's an old world, and there seems to be different potencies and possibilities for the human. And then there's a deluge, there's a flood, there's a wiping out that's worth noting. So, you know, it's such a big deal that it's worth noting in this list of kings. And then there's a further set of kings, and the human life seems to have changed. Remember that pattern, old world, crisis, new world. And that's what you see detailed in the Genesis account, an old world which is blotted out, and a new world which is entered into. But the way that Genesis describes it is, for all its similarities, very different from the way it's described in the other texts. There's another one. There's actually two explicit flood accounts that um, I think are worth considering alongside the story of Noah. And there's one that's detailed in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which you might be familiar with. And the, the hero of that is called Utnapishtim, and he uh, relays his story to Gilgamesh in the Gilgamesh epic. He, he's a guy who's gone through the flood and achieved immortality. Gilgamesh goes on a, a heroic quest to find this hero and to speak to him and say, how did you achieve immortality? What did you have to go through? And he explains that I was warned about a flood by the gods. The gods, plural, not gods, singular. Remember, in all of these other stories, Gods are plural. There's not one king god. There's not one sovereign god who commands everything. In fact, the gods themselves look kind of needy most of the time in each of these stories. They're not the hero of the story. In these stories, you have a hero like Utnapishtim, uh, Atrahasis in the Sumerian flood epic, and you have a similar pattern. You have them being warned of a flood. You have them being told to gather and build a boat. And then you have them surviving through the flood and then coming out and sacrificing to the gods at the end. These are all points that you see in the Genesis story. So you could think, well, is the Genesis story just a, a, a one-god version of these plural god uh, myths that are described in the rest of ancient history? In a sense, you'd say yes. But the differences are so profound. The differences show you that actually it's a critique of the way that people were thinking. It, it criticizes this view of a pantheon of gods who are just kind of pathetic and kind of uh, needling humanity. The reason that the gods uh, cause the deluge in uh, these other versions range from things like they're just upset by the noise that humans are making. So they're, oh, humans are too noisy, I can't sleep, let's flood them. And they're kind of reactive. In one uh, account, you have the gods uh, after the flood. 
the sacrifice is made by the hero of the story. He comes out, makes the sacrifice, and it says the gods swarm on the sacrifice like flies because they're so hungry because no one's been sacrificing. Now you start to see the gods that are being put forth in, in these stories are not the heroes. The heroes are the humans. The gods are kind of these pathetic bit part players. And in both of those accounts that I've mentioned, the hero of the story shuts himself and the animals and his family and whoever, whoever is with him in the collective, he shuts himself into the ark. He shuts himself into the boat. And the writer to Genesis wants you to know that God is in control. That there's a totally different take on history, on creation, on decreation and recreation. And that God, the covenant God, the sovereign God, it says the Lord shut him in. That doesn't just mean God in a generic sense. It means Yahweh. It means the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The one who's going to be revealed in his fullness in Exodus. And he's here spoken of in Genesis by his covenant name, because obviously it's written way after the fact, and they're saying, hey, look, it was that covenant God who's revealed himself, who's made himself known to us as a people. It was him who reached in and rechanneled humanity, stopped the evil, judged it, and put humanity onto a track that it could run along into fruition and towards a purpose. It's a completely different take on things. But before I get too excited about this God and how we can know him, how we can apply it, we need to look at that action. He shuts him in. It says, the Lord shut him in. He shut Noah in. Think to yourself, is there a way that you can possibly take that positively? It's really difficult, isn't it? He, sh he shut him in. The Lord shut him in. There might be some resonances for you right now. It feels a bit like we've been shut in. For many of us, it feels like the government shut them in. The authorities shut them in. Being subjected to another's will, being subjected to constrictions on your power, on your freedom, on your plans, all of these things, it can, it can hurt and bewilder. And we just need to look briefly at a few categories that being shut in affects. I want to talk about the physical, the relational, the financial, and our prospects. And just look at what Noah walked through and how it can relate to us. The first one has to be the physical. This is what we're all experiencing. We're all experiencing a physical change. Even if you do go out and see other human beings walking around, you're distanced. It's unusual. You, you, you don't miss things till they're gone, do you? If you're fasting, you don't miss food until you're fasting. <laughs> and then you really start missing it. You start thinking, well, that's, this is something which I've held to be normal that's actually sustained me without me realizing it. It sustains you to be around other people, to be physically around other people. And Noah here is physically restricted. He's, he's brought into a place which has, has its four walls. And you can look outside and you can see outside, but you're inside. You're inside. You can feel imprisoned. 
And in his own physical conditions, I don't know what the condition of your accommodation is like, but his physical conditions, he, he has his family, but then he has animals. He has, uh, he's definitely not got very strong Wi-Fi. You know, he's got, he's, got, he's got a constricted situation going on, hasn't he? He's got, he's got a, a lack of everything that seems to make life rich. The entertainment, interaction, all of these things closed down physical restriction. And when we're talking about the physical, we can't forget, and we can't forget in the midst of what we're looking at now, the health aspects, the physical, the fact that we are physical. Just because we've been distanced, it doesn't mean that we've been disconnected from our own physicality. And that can really be a worry. It can be a huge worry to be ill inside the ark, to be stuck inside the ark, to be confined, to be scared, to be afraid how am I going to get through? How am I going to cope? Who's caring for me? The physical. And even when you look at, uh, say, benefit gigs that have been going on on, uh, on YouTube, and you can, you can look and you can see all of these super rich stars, and they're, they're, they're doing their benefit tunes and all of this kind of thing. And it's, it's good, and it might, might raise your spirits a bit, and you can see inside their lovely houses as well, which is it's interesting. There's, uh, it's kind of like MTV Cribs uh, that's gone further into the future that's, uh, that's showing you how these people are living. And they've got these beautiful places and you can see uh, mansions that make you jealous and all of that kind of thing. But they're still confined. They're still stuck within those mansions. Sure, it's nicer to be stuck in a mansion than it is in uh, a tiny little hovel of some sort. But you're still stuck. You're still shut in. You're still physically restricted. The relational then, the second thing of being shut in. You're shut in with whoever you're shut in with or whoever you're shut in without. And that can be a real reality. If you're on your own right now, I want to repeat what I said at the beginning. We're here. We're a church family. We're a church body. Those are, those are images that the Bible uses to tell you the truth about what the church is. It's not just building or buildings or a committee or an association or a board or anything like that. It is a family. It is a body. And if you're feeling isolated and you're part of this church, if you're part of Emmanuel, be in touch. Be in touch with us. You, you, might, you might think to yourself, that you could have a thousand reasons for why you wouldn't. You say, oh, well, they're not meeting together, and they're not in their workplace. We are meeting together. We, we who are on the staff, we who are leadership, we who are just part of the body of the church, we're meeting in diverse ways. We've got small groups. We've got things happening. Things are happening all, all the time, and we're having to use technology to do those things, but they're happening, and we, we are there for you. We are there. I, I really, you know, I feel God wanting to say this to you today. Stay connected. Stay apart. If you're, if you're not a member of the church, but you've been casually interested and you've been around us and looking at what we do, we want to say you're welcome too. You're welcome too, but you might not know about the things the members know about. You might not know these things I'm saying to you, that there's, there's pastoral help for you. There's practical help for you if you're in trouble, if you're lonely, if you're happy but you've got no one to share it with, we are there for you. That's, that's church. We're there, gathered around the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's there for you. But again, before I get too excited about that, let me talk more about this being shut in. The relational effects, 
the relational effects on Noah. He's shut in with his family. He's shut in with the last people who are going to be uh, in his civilization on the earth. And everyone else is gone. Everyone's gone. He's bereft of whatever relationships he had. It's a really solitary thing. He doesn't have that kind of assurance. He has some assurance for sure because God's spoken to him, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know how things will plan out. He does know, and this brings me to my third point on being shut in, that everything will have changed. He knows that what would count as the economy then is gone. And for us, we have a similar situation. We know that 1.4 million uh, new claimants to universal credit have, have come about in the last quarter, in second quarter. We're gonna, we know that the GDP of, the, of Great Britain is going to be down 35%. That might not mean much to you, but it does mean that there's going to be 2 million more people affected. There's going to be unemployment there's going to be uh, things, where, and I, I know that some of you are going to be living with this in a really profound way already. You're, you've, you've know that your business is in trouble. You know that your 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 job is in jeopardy, and you don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know how it's going to go. For some of you, it's not even that dramatic. Some some of you, you're just just bored of it. You're just done with it. You just want things to move on. You want to get the wheels turning again. You want to be active. And you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. For Noah, he comes out of that ark, as we'll see in a few weeks, and everything's gone. It, the old world is gone. Old world, crisis, and then new world. You need hope going into that new world. You need to know some of the things that actually Noah knew. You need to know some of the things that we here in the church know. And you need to be encouraged, most of all, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So what plans did you have? What plans did you have before you got shut in? I had some plans. I had some plans which have changed dramatically. Uh, I had to, even going in to the lockdown, I had some plans thinking, oh, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that. And now we've been here for a few weeks. I'm kind of disappointed at what's happened and what hasn't happened more to the point. Maybe I thought I was going to be super productive and maybe you did. And maybe uh, you end up being distracted. Maybe you got taken off course. We realize our finitude. We realize our lack of power. We're distanced. We're powerless. But maybe God's speaking. Maybe God's speaking to us in the midst of that. Maybe he's saying to you, let me be your power. Let me come and bring about the intimacy in your life that you lack. Let me come and stir you up for hope for the new future. We look to secular means. We look to things in this world for our salvation, for our rescue. All the time. All the time. I'm not talking about non-Christians, so to speak. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about us in the church. I'm talking about you and I. And I want to say that there's something better that actually... The big thing here is that you don't need to be shut in in a prison. You don't need to see your situation in that way because of what God has done. 
And this is the difference that the, the hero shutting themselves in and working on their own resources and looking to temporal means for their salvation, looking for hope in a world that's passing away. The difference of being shut in by yourself and you doing the shutting in when you've closed your door, that's you shutting yourself in, or by God shutting you in, makes all the difference in the world. In fact, where it says the Lord shut Noah in, it's the Lord sealing a covenant. He says this in Genesis 6.18. He, t- he tells him in the chapter that we looked at last week. He says, he says, this is my covenant with you. You go into the ark. This is my covenant. He's making a covenant, a deal from a higher party to a lower party. And note that he's making this covenant not with a good Christian boy, And not with a a Jew or a person of the chosen people or people of God or anything like that. Who's Noah? It says Noah found righteousness. Noah was found to be righteous in the sight of God. But it says, more importantly, that Noah found favor. It's not that Noah did things to be good and to uh, to be found in God's favor. Noah found favor with God. God showed grace to him. And the reading that we've had today in the first verse of chapter 7, it says, I've seen that you're righteous. And we could read that and say, oh, look, he's, he's judged that Noah's the best. Noah, Noah's uh, of his own steam somehow worthwhile. No, not at all. Not at all. It's that God has made him to be righteous. We see after the ark, we're going to see Noah behave terribly. We're going to see things go wrong. What does it mean? Does it mean Noah was righteous then he wasn't? No. It means that Noah's righteous as a gift from God. Noah is made righteous. It's like in the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, where God comes to Gideon, who is hiding, and says to him, you are brave, you're a mighty warrior. Gideon is hiding when God says this to him. God speaks it over him, says, you are brave, and the action takes place. Bravery is put into Gideon. And God says over anyone who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are righteous as a gift. You are made just. This is what's happened to Noah. He's judged righteous and he's entered into this covenant with God. And God seals that covenant by shutting him in. So the secret is here that even as we see the Lord shut him in, it's hugely positive. It's not the negative that we're reading. Oh, sure, the experience, the, the, the lack of light, the lack of f- friendship, the lack of uh, knowledge about what's going to happen. Those are real, but more, than real, more real to Noah is the fact that the Lord shut him in. The Lord did it. The Lord sealed the deal. He shut him in. And if the Lord shut him in, he knows that he's going to bring him out. Actually, what we see here is not just being shut in, but being led out. That's the truth of it. And that's the reality of Christian life. Sometimes you can feel that you've been shut in, but you're being led out. This is the God of Exodus. Exodus, the word uh, which is used as the name for the second book of the Bible, means way out. Exodus. Exodus, because people are always being led out of captivity and into freedom by the living God. Actually, the, the book Echoes of Exodus, which was by Alistair Robertson and Andrew Wilson, really worth checking out. It goes through the whole Bible looking at how this Exodus theme happens again and again and again. And it seems to be that that's what the living God really wants to say to humanity, that I'm here to lead you out. 
I'm not here to shut you in and lock you down. I'm here to lead you out into freedom. So just as I close, let me look at two massive, massive points which are completely different in the Genesis account than in those other accounts. The Lord, in contrast to the gods of the nations and to the gods that are described there, is in control and the Lord cares. And this is the God of Jesus. This is the the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if it was true then, it's true now. He is in control and he cares. And both of those things matter hugely. It matters that they go together, that he's in control. You see this in verse 15 of chapter 7, where it says that God brought the animals with Noah into the ark. In our translation, the ESV that we read, it says that he brought, he brought them with Noah into the ark. If you read it in the original language, you see something which you don't see in that translation. It says that he brought them into Noah, into the ark. Okay, what difference does that make? A big one. Into Noah, into the ark. Noah is now the representative of the whole of humanity, and humanity have been put in charge of the whole of creation. They've been told to be God's image bearers, to be his his facsimile, and to be his totem in the midst of creation, and to be in charge of all these things. It says that he brought them into Noah, into the ark. It says... As well, let's, let's not miss it. It says that the Lord brought them into Noah. It's not like the, the heroes in the other epics who go out animal shopping, trying to bring everyone in. This isn't what happens. You've got this weird scene where the animals are, become controlled. You've got like a sense, and you, you know, this is the point where you could switch off and think, oh, well, this is fanciful. This is stupid. But friends, see what's being said. We are being told that the Lord is in complete control. That's the sort of God that you can trust. That's the sort of God that you, can, you would expect, isn't it? You don't expect lots of gods that look like humans pumped up on steroids somewhat and doing, doing a slightly bigger mess. What you see instead is someone who is absolutely in control, a creator God, a God who won't let evil go on and on. That's what that flood's about. That's God putting the brakes on saying, no, I won't let evil go on and on. That's not me. That's not God. And he's put the brakes on. He shut them in. He brought the animals into Noah, into the ark. Now Noah starts to look a bit like someone else, but the ark, even more so, looks like a savior. It looks like one in whom everyone who goes in is safe. Everyone who goes in is safe through judgment and out the other side. A refuge. And not just a refuge where you stay cowered away, but one that brings you into fullness of life. That brings you into a new landscape. That takes you from the old world, through the crisis, into the new world and into fullness of life. He looks like Jesus. The ark looks like Jesus. In all of his letters in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul starts by talking to the saints. That's what his name is for believers in Jesus. He says, you're all saints. There's not like a special league of a, a Christian who is a saint. He's saying, if you, if you are in Christ, you're a saint. And he often greets them to say, grace and peace to you, to the saints in Christ. Saints in Christ. That is the distinctive. That is what has made you righteous. 
That is what has caused you to experience the favor of God, is being in Christ. And you might wonder how you can participate in that even today. Let me read this verse to you from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 11. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him won't be put to shame. See, the same events that you're experiencing right now and that you've got an interpretation of, they could have a completely different meaning. They could go from being a prison to being a promised land. You could go from being shut in to being led out. Even now, and I'm speaking to people who already believe in Jesus as well. I'm speaking to those who are looking in and saying, could this be for me? Yes, yes, it could be for you. It is for you. He's calling you. Even now, he's, he, he might have organized all the events that you're experiencing this year just to bring you to this point, a point of decision, one where you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, where you believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead. Now look, you don't have to be absolutely sure about any of these things. A good prayer to pray is, if this is real, show me, Lord. If this is real, bring me in, call me out. And tell us as well. Tell us. We've got, we've got our website, weareemmanuel.com slash next steps or next step. Get in touch with us. Let us know if you want to pray, if you want to, if you want to investigate, if you want to take a next step towards this God who might well be calling you today. And if you're a Christian who is just in a place of confusion, in a place of feeling a grudge, feeling, feeling sad, feeling put upon because of uh, the way that your life has changed. Just let me encourage you today with that Psalm 23, which speaks about the good shepherd, that speaks about the one who leads his sheep. It says this, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Maybe you wouldn't have laid down of your own volition. Maybe you wanted to keep going. But now you've found yourself in a place where everything's stopped and you feel bitter about it. Friend, let me just say to you, you might be being laid down in a green pasture right now. And there's a reason that he does it. The next verse says, he restores my soul. Maybe you've been running hard. Maybe you've been trying really hard to make this life work. The Lord Jesus wants to reach down to you and to minister to you. Where you feel powerless, where you feel needy, where you feel distanced, he wants you to know that he's close, that he is full of power, that by his Holy Spirit he can come and empower you. He can lift depression from you. He can physically heal. He can put you in community. And ultimately, he can save you for eternity and draw you into eternal life with him.